Hey, hey, welcome back to the show. We're keeping it real. Goes nice. Real take sports talk. 69. Nice, 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 nice. We're going to see how many times I can say nice in one episode. As always, I'm your host, Omer Q. We've got so much to talk about today. Week 18, yes, 18, of the NFL season is in the book, in the pocket, out of sight, and we got so much to talk about coming out of it. I know a lot of people want to focus on the playoffs, what's going on with all the teams that won yesterday. I'm going to go a different route. I'm going to focus today on a lot of the the teams that lost, a lot of the stuff that people are talking about, and we're going to get into that. We're going to get into the Colts meltdown. We're going to get into the Ravens complete meltdown over the last six games of the season, to my detriment. We're also going to be talking about all of the head coaches, including Brian Flores, who was fired unceremoniously by the Miami Dolphins. And also, we're going to get into a little bit of NBA talk with the return of Clay Thompson. All this and much more coming up on Real Take Sports Talk 69 Live. Nice, nice, nice. Hit that like button. Subscribe. Hit that notification bell. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please be sure to hit that follow button and leave a five-star review. We got a lot of people in the chat already. The champ is here. It's his big ticket. NC, let's go. Let's go and let's start off talking about the biggest game from week 18 in the NFL doesn't matter what you want to say. I know a lot of people want to stake claim to having the most dramatic finish of every game, right? But Sunday night football, the Las Vegas Raiders versus the Los Angeles Chargers in one of the greatest displays of football I've ever seen. We've seen games that have been, you know, like 50 to 47 ties or or 50 to 47 scores or whatever. We've seen all that stuff. Never before has there been so much at stake for multiple teams. Because here's the thing. For this, for both of these teams, it was win and you're in, right? But on top of that, it was such a weird scenario where if Pittsburgh or if these two teams had tied, then the Pittsburgh Steelers somehow would have missed out on the playoffs, and both of these teams would have gotten in. That's how messy the AFC playoff picture has been throughout this entire season. It all came down to this. The Sunday Night Football Classic, I'm going to say classic, between the Los Angeles Chargers and the Las Vegas Raiders. It went into overtime after some late-game shenanigans, absolute shenanigans, because I don't know what else to call it. It wasn't that it was crazy bad or whatever. It was so insane to think about. The Chargers went for it on fourth down three times on the final drive. That was just to send the game into overtime. Three times on the final drive, and they drive all the way down to the 12-yard line. They score a touchdown with no time remaining on the clock in, in, reg- in regulation, forcing the game to go into overtime. And then what do we see? The Raiders get the ball first. They go down. They kick a field goal. And then the Chargers come all the way back down, kick a field goal of their own, and we're tied with about just under four minutes to play. And here I am thinking as a Ravens fan, holy shit, the Pittsburgh Steelers might just get out of the playoffs because these two teams just might not have enough left. These two teams were gassed. The receivers were running on fumes. The defense is running on fumes by the end of the game. And and lo and behold... With just under a minute remaining. Third and four. The Raiders were about the 45-yard line. Like the Chargers 45-yard line. And they were in a formation where they were just going to run. And according to Rich Bisacci, the head coach of the Oakland Raiders. Or the Las Vegas Raiders. He said that 
yeah, our intention really was just to kill time because, again, if both teams tied at that point, they both would have made the playoffs, and your job as a head coach, right, it is, no matter what, to make the playoffs at that point. Your job isn't necessarily to even win. If, I mean, obviously you want to win, but would the, the question would be, would you risk uh, kicking a field goal where you don't know what could happen? You could see a block, you could see a whole host of things happen, and you could risk your team not getting in. By taking a knee or just running the ball and running the clock out, you know you're in the playoffs. You know for a fact you are in the playoffs. But then, Brandon Staley, head coach of the Los Angeles Chargers, calls a timeout. And it was weird because everyone had kind of pretty much assumed, rightfully so, that the Raiders were just going to melt out the clock or milk out the clock, however you want to put it. But then the Chargers take a timeout because they said, well, we weren't in the right formation, whatever. And then the Raiders had a chance to think about it. And they thought about it. And they said, well, let's let us get into the right formation now. So they got into the right formation. They got a little time to breathe. And they ran it for like a 10-yard gain. And the rest was history. Two seconds left, timeout. They kick a field goal and they get the dub clinching the playoffs, and also knocking the Chargers out, winning the game in the process. So they're going to be in the playoffs. The Chargers are not. Um, and I know a lot of people want to focus on uh, Staley and, and what he does wrong as a head coach or whatever, but the truth is he has changed the the way he's – I don't even want to say changed the way the game of football is played. That, that, that would be too much of a hyperbole, but he has made – like. Being a Madden coach, which we all know what that means. If you ever played Madden, you know exactly what you know exactly what I mean. Going for it on fourth and ten in your own twenty yard line, like no one does that except for the Chargers. And guess what? For all of the for all the stuff they want to uh, give the Chargers, the people want to say about them, they're successful at it. Justin Herbert was pulling off some of the most immaculate stuff I've ever seen in the game of pro football in history. It, it just seemed like, okay, yeah, we're not even going to try until fourth down. That's what it seemed like in this game. Repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly. And one thing I want to say about the San, Di of the San Diego, not Las Vegas. Too, ma too, many, too many city changes. Um, one thing I do want to say, <coughs> excuse me, about the Los Angeles, somehow, Chargers, are, is that... I think the future for the Chargers is bright. The future for the Chargers is 100% bright because they've got a coach that is the gutsiest coach in the NFL by bar none. They've got and one who's actually a really good offensive play caller, in case you guys can't tell. They've got Justin Herbert, who is going to be, I think, a top three quarterback in the league. If he's not already, I think he just needs one more season to cement it. They've got a really good run game, great weapons around him. The defense has been built up, and the and you're in an AFC where you have seven playoff spots. I think the Los Angeles Chargers have a very bright future ahead of them. <coughs> Excuse me, a very bright future ahead of them, and I think it would be it would be foolish to think that just because oh Staley goes for it on fourth down. I heard a lot of pundits. A lot of pundits today on, on ESPN and, and FS1 
criticize him. You can criticize him for the timeout. I, I will criticize him for the timeout. Be granted where they were, you should you definitely shouldn't have taken the timeout. But at the same time, to say that he's an idiot, to say that he doesn't know what he's doing, to say that he's too gutsy, why don't you ask his team that? Ask the players that and see what they think. Because at the end of the day, we want to say, say all, we want to call out coaches for all this crap, right? At the end of the day, if the coaches, the players, and the front office, and the fans all have that same mentality, you can say and chirp whatever you want, experts. It's not going to matter. Because they know what they're going to have to do at the end of the day. The Chargers know that on fourth down, more often than not, they're going to go for it. And the other team has to know that too. The other team is has to know that they're playing four down football almost every time they're out there. <coughs> Excuse me. Don't know what's going on with me today. Definitely not sick. Hopefully not sick, guys. Uh, guys, if you haven't already, hit that like button, subscribe, and hit that notification bell so you get notified whenever a new video is released. No Lara in the chat says, Justin Herbert, provide provide he will take over the AFC future MVP in the making. Oh, my God. He, it is just a matter of time before Justin Herbert is crowned. It, it is just a matter of time. I mean, some of the plays that this guy makes is just, are just unreal. Point of the matter is the... Oh, I don't know what happened there. Point of the matter is that the Chargers are going to be making the playoffs for the next few years to come. And I, I think, honestly, the Raiders after this season are on a downturn. I, 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 I don't think that they're going to be able to sustain the success they have. And that's only going to help the Chargers. But what do I know? Guys, if you haven't already, hit that like button, subscribe, and hit that notification bell so you get notified whenever a new video is released. Let's move on um, from one of the most entertaining games to a game that literally everyone around the NFL was watching. And everyone was watching in both shock and amazement as the Colts had a just meltdown for the ages. The Colts had a meltdown for the ages Losing to Jacksonville 26-11 to and in course knocking themselves out of the playoffs. It was not pretty if you were a fan of the Indianapolis Colts. All they needed to do was win and they were in. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. And on top of that, they were playing a Jacksonville team that even though they won this game, they still hold the number one overall pick in the draft. That's how bad the Jacksonville Jaguars are. They were guaranteed, basically, to hold the number one pick in the draft no matter what. And the Colts march into Jacksonville and do what they do best, lose to the Jaguars in Jacksonville. They have not won a game in Jacksonville since 2014. Maybe that was a bad omen. Maybe we all overlooked that. But either way, Trevor Lawrence went out there, probably had the game of his career so far, and Carson Wentz went out there and did exactly what a lot of people expected Carson Wentz to do. And this is not me saying that Carson Wentz is a bad quarterback. This is not me saying that Carson Wentz shouldn't be an NFL starter. This is me saying that Carson Wentz is a very good quarterback at his best and not a great quarterback at his best, which is fine. But I think a lot of people, Dan Orlovsky in particular, were overhyping him. Talking about the potential, this potential that he still had, even though we basically saw what Carson Wentz was in the latter years in the Eagles, in, in Philadelphia. We saw that Carson Wentz 
is a guy who you can trust, but you can't lean on in big moments. That's what Carson Wentz is. You can trust him most of the time, but you can't trust him all of the time. And that's the difference between a good quarterback and a great quarterback. This was the biggest moment of their season. The biggest moment of their season. And look, this is not absolving anyone else on the Colts of what their job was. The defense should have played better against one of the most putrid offenses in the NFL. The running game should have been better like they were, like it was throughout the season. The offensive line should have blocked better. But at the end of the day, the Indianapolis Colts traded a first-round pick away for Carson Wentz. I think it was a first-round, maybe a second-round, one of those. They traded a big-time pick away for Carson Wentz. And in return, you had to get the guy. You had to get the guy that when all the chips are down, when, when the team needs him to play big-time football, he's got to be that guy. That's what they brought Carson Wentz to be. That's what they brought him in to be. Frank Reich was there. Everyone thought that Frank Reich was going to be able to, to be the quarterback whisperer to Carson Wentz. And it just not, did not materialize in the way that I think many Colts fans expected. It did not materialize in the way that many, I think, in the Colts front office executives expected either. He played well throughout the season. I think it was like 27 touchdowns or, yeah, 22 touchdowns, 7 interceptions, something like that. He played well. He played well. Just not well enough to will this team in the playoffs. One game. They had one game to make it, and they didn't. And it was against the Jacksonville Jaguars. The the rest of the season, in, in comparison to this, meant very little in this moment. Because tunnel vision. You are playing the Jaguars. A team who are... Li who, the fans showed up to this game, not really for the game, because they expected to lose. But because they plan to protest Shad Khan, the owner. They dress up as clowns and plan to protest Shad Khan, the owner. And you're telling me that, oh, we, oh well, you know, we shouldn't be surprised this wasn't a letdown. I, like, I heard, I saw that on Twitter. People were saying that this was, oh, well, we should have expected this, you know. I'm like, this is like one of the most epic chokes I've seen in a long time as far as, you know, playoffs go as far as the playoffs on the line go this is right up there I mean I'm a Ravens fan right and I was watching this game very closely and I just saw Jacksonville go up and score and score and score again and pretty soon it was like the, the the score was like 20 to 3 and I was just amazed I was like wow Carson Wentz is Carson Wentzing because he had the pick he had the, the fumble and the outside of the one drive where it was just garbage time points, they didn't do anything. They put up three points. They put up really they really just put up three points in this game as an offense. That is inexcusable for the amount of money that you've invested in Carson Wentz, the draft capital you've invested in Carson Wentz, the time, the resources, everything. It's inexcusable if Carson Wentz, if you brought him in to be the guy. We know right now, damn sure, that he's not. And like I said, it's okay if he's not the guy, but it's not okay for him not to be the guy if that's what you brought him in for. Carson Wentz can win a Super Bowl. Let me be clear about this. There's a lot, I think there are a lot of quarterbacks out there who are capable of winning a Super Bowl. Carson Wentz, I would say, is in that category. But here's the difference. 
between a guy like Carson Wentz and a guy like Aaron Rodgers. Aaron, you can win a Super Bowl. You can win a Super Bowl because of Aaron Rodgers. You, you can't say the same about Carson Wentz. You can't say the same. You will. I don't think there's a lot of scenarios where you win because of Carson Wentz. And a lot of people in Indy might not feel the same way. A lot of people in Indy might feel some type of way about that. But that's just the truth. That is just the truth. There are some quarterbacks that are elite. There are some quarterbacks that are great. There are some quarterbacks that are very good. Carson Wentz is in that category of being very good, which is not bad. He just needs the right pieces around him to be successful. And those right pieces are the ones you have to lean on because he's got ability. He's got an arm. He's got the ability to run. He's got the ability to extend plays. But it's just not enough as a full body of work sometimes. It's just not enough. All right, guys, let's see what you guys are cooking in the chat. We got Brooks in the chat from HMO Podcast. Go give them a shout-out, youtube.com forward slash HMO Podcast. What's up, Brooks? Good to see you. Big Ticket says Colts wasted their season by not going after Deshaun Watson. They would have won a Super Bowl with Watson. Uh, I don't think they would have. They wouldn't have been able to get Watson. I, like, of all the things that would have happened, that that is the least likely place or one of the most least likely places I could see Deshaun Watson ending up. They were never going to trade him in the division. I, I, that's just, I don't think that was ever going to happen. No, Lara says, I think during that Steelers versus Chargers game, um, I think that she, Steelers versus Chargers game where Big Ben testing Justin Herbert to see if he was ready. I mean, Justin Herbert, I think, is ready. I, I, I truly do believe that Justin Herbert is ready to be a big time quarterback. But we'll talk about him, I'm sure, down the line. We'll talk about the playoff teams, by the way, in a. NFL playoff special planned for later this week. Um, so st stick around, hit that like button, subscribe, and hit that notification bell so you get notified whenever that happens. Um, moving on, though, let's talk about my Baltimore Ravens eh, because this is just sad. Sad, sad, sad. Big sad vibes for me. Because I had a lot of hope. Even, do even through the injuries, I had a lot of hope for my football team. And unfortunately, that hope never materialized into wins or at least down the stretch let's talk about it the Baltimore Ravens lost six straight to end the season finishing the season eight and nine missing the playoffs for the first time since 2017 a lot of it was due to injuries and injuries are key pieces before the season they had their entire backfield wiped out they just days before the season started injuries to Marcus Peters injuries to multiple people on the secondary Marlon Humphrey injuries on the defensive line injuries on the offensive line Ronnie Stanley just it is it's insane to think that even with the injuries that this team had going up into week 12 when they were eight and three and number one in the conference and leading the AFC it was insane that 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 they were able to have that record and the one thing I said was, man, if there is a team out there, if there is a coach out there who can adjust, adjust, adjust with these injuries, it's John Harbaugh, and it is this team. The turning point of the season, though, was when Lamar Jackson got hurt. And I know a lot of people say, well, you know, he lo we lost like two or three games before that. And yeah, that is true. And I think at the end of the day, we were going to lose some games. Like, like, that is just a fact. We were not going to be number one in the conference forever, even if Lamar had not been injured. We were going to lose some games, and I think you were kind of seeing that happen as Lamar was was kind of leaning on 
on himself and leaning on Lamar Ball to to as, as if he felt like he needed to do that. But when Lamar goes down, I think two things happen, and it, this is not indicative of Tyler Huntley because Tyler Huntley played very well. He played very well. But we lost two things. One, we lost that clutch factor that Lamar had because we saw it in the beginning of the season. We saw it in the Colts game, the Lions game, whatever game, or, or another in Minnesota as well. Lamar had this clutch factor about him that just made it so at the end of the game, if you needed a drive, you had even less, you had 40 seconds on the clock, Lamar's going to do it. He willed it into existence multiple times, and we saw it throughout the season. The unfortunate thing is he was not there down the stretch to do it. The injury was the turning point for the Ravens season, undoubtedly. On top of that, I think the the other factor that led into this was just the injuries. I think uh, the other injuries. Like The thing is, the fact that we were still in games with the amount of yards we were giving up, we were dead last in the NFL. Dead last in the NFL in passing yards allowed. And this is a team that prides itself on defense. The injuries took its toll, and it got to a point where if the other team needed a drive to go down and score, they were going to do it. And they did multiple times. Look at the Rams game. That's exactly what they did. Look at the Packers game. That's what they did multiple times. And then we obviously didn't make the two-point conversion. And you can also factor that in. The, the decisions not to go for the extra point and play for overtime rather than do the two-point conversion. Those are told, I think, even though I agree with those decisions going for two in those in those situations, I do think that you can genuinely factor those in as reasons why the Ravens lost six straight to end the season. But Lamar Jackson, but we found out through the last four games, I believe, how important Lamar Jackson is to this team. And I think if you had to put a proportion on, if you had to put a percentage, I guess, on it, it would be injuries, I think, were were definitely played a majority of the factor into this. But then I would give it like another 40% to both Lamar and also that clutch factor he brings because we were in a we were in games with Huntley. We were in games and we were losing by like one two points in a lot of these games. The issue became I think at the end of it we just didn't have it in us to finish that last drive and that's what really dug our hole. And it, it's sad because this is a team again eight and three. The fall from grace was was fast and furious, and, and we were still in it up until the end. Obviously, Miami won, so it didn't even matter that we lost to Pittsburgh, but I know there were a lot of fans out there who wanted to see this team finish eight and uh, or nine and eight, and that just unfortunately didn't happen. John Harbaugh now has his second losing season in his, I believe now, what, 12 years in Baltimore, 13 seasons in Baltimore, and it, it's just how... The season played out. They played tough. They this is the fact that this team is was still able to win eight games. Honestly, is a testament. And be in a lot of the games that they lost is a testament to the coaching job that John Harbaugh did. This is one of his best coaching jobs he's ever done. And this team will be better for it next year because they will be battle tested. Uh, you're going to see some pieces leave. Definitely, you're going to see the likes of Brandon Williams likely gone. As I doubt they're going to re-sign him. Jimmy Smith. This might have been his last game. We saw not only 
you know, him him being burned on a lot of coverages this season. That last game, you could see he just wasn't able to turn the corner a, a few times. So Jimmy Smith is likely gone. And on top of that, we're probably going to see uh, cap casualties in Derek Wolf, Calais Campbell, and the likes of that as Lamar Jackson's contract is also looming. And I know there's a lot of people who are out there who are saying, oh, we shouldn't resign Lamar, blah, blah, blah. No, we're resigning Lamar. It's okay. R-E-L-A-X. Relax. But definitely back to the drawing board and figuring out what we can do to increase our depth and hopefully get these pieces healthy. I think the Ravens training staff definitely are going to have their work cut out for them in the offseason because they got to get these guys healthy and, and ready to go and, and in hopefully better shape as far as uh, as far as conditioning goes to deal with potential lingering injuries next season but it was a tough season for, for Baltimore it was a tough season and you know I, I I think you couldn't have asked you honestly couldn't have asked for for more from I think the coaches or the players it was sometimes it's just the hand you're dealt um and yeah not every team's gonna be Tennessee not every team's gonna be Tennessee Guys, if you haven't already, hit that like button, subscribe, and hit that notification bell so you get notified whenever a new video is released. Daily videos on sports, wrestling, much more. Real Take Sports Talk 69, baby. Nice, nice, nice. Let's move on and talk about coaches. So the NFL coaching carousel, people, was wild as we saw many coaches. I love how Aaron Rodgers just popped up on the screen. Um, for those of you who are watching on video, you saw that. If you're not, then ignore what I just said. Um, but yeah, the NFL coaching carousel was wild this week. So Vic Fangio, head coach of the Broncos, was cut and fired after their week's 18 loss to the Kansas City Chiefs. We also saw Mike Zimmer from the Minnesota Vikings get fired. Brian Flores, the most surprising firing so far. And Matt Nagy, also of the Chicago Bears, getting fired. Um, we'll get into each of these in in particular. Uh, I do want to touch on um, a few other notes here. Joe Judge, head coach of the New York Football Giants, is still going to be employed by the team next year. But Dave Gettleman, the GM who a lot of Giants fans have wanted gone for years, will stay with will actually retire. I should say he's gone. So a lot of Giants fans get their wish there, um, and deservedly so, because you could argue Dave Gettleman is responsible for not building the right team around Daniel Jones and not building a defense or any pieces around him that would make him successful. Um, first, let's talk about Minnesota and Mike Zimmer. Um, so Mike Zimmer gets fired after eight years, eight lingering seasons. Lingering? Is that a word? Yes, it is. So Mike Zimmer gets fired after eight seasons with the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, he had a pretty good record. I think he was he was about twenty, almost twenty games over five hundred, uh, seventy two and fifty six. Thank you for that. Uh, he was seventy two and fifty six and won as the head coach. Took his team to the playoffs three different times, two and three in the playoffs when he got there. Uh, one of those wins was with Kirk Cousins. The other win was with uh, Case Keenum when they actually went to the NFC Championship game in twenty seventeen. So Mike Zimmer might be a surprise to people who were not paying attention to what was going on in Minnesota because you're like, oh, well, the Vikings are usually in the playoff hunt. They've made the playoffs. They made an NFC title game. They went 13-3 and that one year. 
you know, why is Mike Zimmer out? And prevailing sentiment in Minnesota was that it's been eight years. We brought in Mike Zimmer. We brought in Kirk Cousins. We, we, we spent all this money on all these different pieces, and it's just not yielding the results they expected because Minnesota didn't just expect to be a team that's in the hunt for the playoffs. They expected to be in the playoffs and competing for a title. And at no point since they brought in Kirk Cousins has that been the case. And and only one point, honestly, were they actually a threat to go to the Super Bowl, and that was in 2017. That was the only time in the Mike Zimmer era where they were actually capable, I think, of going to the Super Bowl and considered legitimate contenders. Finishes eight and nine this year, under five hundred again after seven after a seven and nine season the year before. They made the playoffs ten and six uh, the year before, but it, it's just been mediocrity. That that has been they have been one of the most mediocre, just flat teams I've seen in such a long time. It got to a point where I just expected them to tie a game or two because they're just perennially finishing at eight hundred. That's what they do. They're like right around that eight hundred mark every year. And I think once you once you stomach that for so many years and you see that you have Dalvin Cook, you see that you have Kirk Cousins, you see that you have a good defense, you have all these great pieces and it's not working, it kind of reminds me of the Marvin Lewis situation in Cincinnati for a long time. Because no one's saying that Marvin Lewis wasn't a good coach. No one's saying that Mike Zimmer isn't a good coach. Mike Zimmer's going to have a job, whether it's as a defensive coordinator, which is most likely the case, or or in other, some other capacity. He's going to have a job next year. But the problem is he was just around for too long and didn't have much to show for it. Two, two playoff wins in eight seasons with a team that he had that, and they had constructed you could see why they would want to move on and get some new life, some new inspiration, and get that team revved up. This is a team that I don't know why. It just seems like they just are not into playing football. They are just not excited. They show up. Minnesota is one of those teams that just shows up and plays. Sometimes they win. Sometimes they know they don't. But who really gives a fuck, right? And... It was just time for them to move on, um, and I think that Mike Zimmer's departure, the turning point for that, honestly, was when they brought in Kirk Cousins, because that put the pressure on Mike Zimmer. That automatically put the pressure on Mike Zimmer. It said, all right, we brought in Kirk Cousins. Say We can think whatever we want to be, but Kirk Cousins was brought in as to be the guy. They gave him the first fully guaranteed contract in NFL history, and then the second fully guaranteed contract in NFL history. They gave him those contracts because they said, this is the guy who's going to put us over the edge. Case Keenum, shit can down the road. All right, cool. Thanks for what you did. But then he comes, but then Kirk Cousin comes in. All right, we're going to win a Super Bowl. And at no point were they ever contenders after that. Never, 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 never. And it might just show you how important that decision to move on from Case Keenum, who they could have had for cheaper, who probably would have helped keep Stephon Diggs around, who probably would have been better to run that offense around. It shows you how much of a difference that was because as soon as Kirk Cousins comes through the door, the pressure was on for Mike Zimmer, and at no point did the team ever just look like they were going to live up to their potential. And it's sad because Mike Zimmer is a good coach. He's a really good coach. I I, I want to be clear about that. I, Mike Zimmer is one of the best defensive coaches I think there is in football. 
He was when he was a Bengals coach. He was when he coached some of the best defenses with the Vikings. It is just, I think it's just he overstayed his welcome and didn't have much to show for it. And that's okay sometimes. It's okay to move on and try to find a new vision and a new direction. And that's what I think the Vikings need. I think the Vikings need a new direction. And whoever it may be, Maybe it's the guy that I'm about to talk about next. Uh, I, I think that it's going to hopefully inject some life into this team because that's what th- that's the word I was looking for earlier. The, the Minnesota Vikings for the past few seasons have just seemed lifeless. This team has just seemed lifeless. There's no energy. There's no ambiance. I, 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 I don't think anyone's excited for the games. So hopefully they can get someone in who does that. Um... We got some chats here. Uh, you got Roll Tide from 202 Degrees. Says, Omar, who do you think could be a Forbidden Door match? Uh, we'll talk about uh, wrestling tomorrow night on Real Take Wrestle Talk. Uh, but there's a lot of people. Actually, you, you'll hear my views on, on the Forbidden Door tomorrow night. But Real Take Wrestle Talk for that live every Tuesday night on YouTube.com forward slash Real Take Sports. <clears throat> As I take a sip of water. All right. So moving on to the next head coaching vacancy that happened, and this one surprised everyone, shocked a lot of people in the NFL world, and honestly, I just don't get it. So hopefully someone can explain it to me, because I honestly do not understand it. <clears throat> Ooh, Sorry about that. After finishing 9-8, and eight, The Miami Dolphins have let go and fired Brian Flores, the head coach for the past three years. Flores finished with a 24-25 and record as head coach. He's coming off of a 9-8 season this year, a 10-6 season last year. And, of course, they had that first year where they went 5-11. But this is a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately kind of business in the NFL. And the question becomes, Brian Flores, while he didn't make the playoffs, in 2020 he finished 10-6. And last year, this last year, he won seven in a row and eight of his last nine after after starting one and uh, eight or one and seven, right? One and seven. And they don't bring him back. And this is a guy who the players love. This is one of the most successful coaches they've had, honestly, since um, Tony Soprano. And I just don't get it. Honestly, and this might just be me. There might be some Dolphins fans out there who are like, yeah, well, maybe we needed to get someone better. My question to, to them is that like the there's zero justification, honestly, for this because, like I said, players like them. It, it, things seem to be trending in the right direction. The players don't win seven games in a row and eight of nine to finish the season without at least somewhat being inspired by their head coach. He didn't lose the locker room at one and seven. Not a lot of coaches can say that that would be true for them. Brian Flores is one of those coaches, and they still fired him. There's some more to it, but my only question to the Miami Dolphins is, if you're going to make this move, you better have someone who is legitimately better that you were going to hire. Otherwise, this is going to come back and blow up right in your face. That's just the truth. The only justification for this is if you go out there and you get a primetime guy. And honestly, outside of outside of Jim Harbaugh, who is that? Because Jim Harbaugh, say what you want about him or whatever, dude won 
50 games, nearly 50 games as a head coach in the NFL and had a great winning percentage. Went to the NFC title game three years in a row. Three out of his four years in the NFL. So outside of him, maybe, maybe Eric Bieniemy, again, who's never coached as a head coach in the NFL. Who else is out there? Who else is out there that you can legitimately say is better? I don't, I don't know who that is. There's talk that there was disagreements about coaching staff decisions. There's also talk that Brian Flores may have wanted some more power over personnel choices and whatnot. And again, to the Dolphins, I would say, if this was a coaching, staffing type of, uh, of, of change, if that's the reason because, oh, they didn't agree with the staffing choices that Brian Flores had, I, I don't buy it. I legitimately don't buy it. There's got to be something else here. Because this is because at no point are you going to fire Brian Flores over coach over differences about coaching staffs and 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 decision making. At no point. That's just that's just an asinine way of 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 saying we don't want to tell you the real answer because there's a, there's only two things. Either this is pure incompetence by the Miami Dolphins, like like just just insane levels of incompetence by the Miami Dolphins or there's something we don't know about the backstage or relationship between Brian Flores and the executive branch who make these decisions. It doesn't make sense to me. This is a team that was trending in the right direction. This is a team that, again, they dealt with so many injuries. They, they, the Tua was in and out of the lineup. They were playing with Jacoby Brissett at quarterback. They started one and seven. They won seven in a row. Teams don't do that unless their head coach inspires them in some way, people. So, I don't know what to say about that. But one thing I can tell you, Brian Flores will 100% be at the top of a lot of people's lists. A lot of people's lists to be a head coach for their team. This is a guy who can win. This is a guy who can inspire people. He was literally the only person who was able to adapt Bill Belichick's Patriot way and make it his own and not in any way have that curse of, of being a Patriots assistant who didn't make it as a head coach. Because even though he got fired, Brian Flores made it. He made it. Everyone knows it. Everyone who paid attention, everyone who watched the game, everyone knows it. Apparently, except for the team he was hired to be a head coach for, the Miami Dolphins. Don't understand it. Do not understand it at all. Uh, I award you no points, Miami, and may God have mercy on your soul because this is this is a decision that's going to come back and haunt the Miami Dolphins for years if they don't get the right guy. And by right guy, you got to get someone who's day one better than Brian Flores. And I don't know who that is. I genuinely do not know who that is because some people will say Josh McDaniels is better. That's if he ever freaking shows up. There's not many coaches out there that I, I think you could say are better than Brian Flores outright. And look, again, the, the part of this issue is also we once again see somehow, some way, a black head coach who is early on in his start, who, who shows a little bit of success, gets fired unceremoniously almost. I'm just saying, I'm just saying it. It doesn't sit well with me. We saw what happened with Lovey Smith a few years ago, like, and that didn't sit well with me. Um, and 
I don't know, man. That that's a conversation to be had. Uh, I'm sure, and we will have that conversation because we don't shy away from those. But we'll definitely talk about that because I think. And I'm not saying that Miami fired him because he's black, because I know there's a lot of people who wanna who wanna misconstrue that. But there's just it just happens too often to lit to legitimately ignore it. You know what I'm saying? It, it just happens way too often to to legitimately ignore it because it always seems like somehow black head coaches are on a shorter leash sometimes than than other head coaches. But well, that's a story for another day. It's a conversation for another day. For for another day, as I mumble through this this podcast, and we're gonna move on. Talk about the last firing. We already covered Vic Fangio in a video earlier on this week, so go check that out on YouTube.com forward slash Real Take Sports. Um, we're gonna move on and talk about the Chicago Bears because what my oh my, the day that Bears fans have been waiting for for years almost has finally happened. Congratulations, Bears fans. Fire Matt Nagy Day was running wild over Twitter. It was amazing. I'm pretty sure there's fireworks and parties happening in Chicago right now. The Chicago Bears have fired Matt Nagy finally, finally, by God, finally, after a putrid 6-11 season. He was not able to win his way back into the, the, the head coaching spot for another putrid season. No, he is gone. Matt Nagy went 34-31 and 31 as head coach. Two playoff appearances, two playoff losses, no wins in the playoffs to show for it. And he, his entire career as the Chicago Bears head coach had, will be marred and will be remembered as just not the right guy for the job. And here's the thing. I talked about Car- Carson Wentz earlier on, and I said that you like Carson Wentz isn't the guy who you'll win because of. And he, as far as a head coach goes, Matt Nagy is the same thing. You won't win because of Matt Nagy. And in a lot of circumstances, you, you'll probably lose because of Matt Nagy. And he made a career out of it in his four years in Chicago. I know there's a lot of Bears fans who who probably want to want to, you know, burn buildings down now in celebration. Don't do that. Please don't do that. But no, in all seriousness, I, I think that I think that Matt Nagy is someone who probably should have been fired if the Bears knew what was good for them after they got rid of Mitch Trubisky. Because I think you cut the cord. And same with Ryan Pace, who was also let go, that GM who drafted Mitch Trubisky. Both of them should have been gone when they let go of Mitch Trubisky because not only are you having a coach and a GM combination that everyone knows is not going to work. Everyone knew going into this season that this was that this team was on the downturn. That Matt Nagy and and the executive branch had wasted a an elite defense with Khalil Mack and company. They had wasted this elite defense and their potential that they're now getting long in the tooth. It's wasted and they weren't able to get exactly what they wanted out of the offense. They weren't able to extract the the gem out of the out of the rough or the diamond out of the rough, I should say, that was Mitch Trubisky. And they bring him on and they draft Justin Fields. And what do you do? Matt Nagy is Justin Fields' coach for the first part of the year or or for this year and his first year. And He's in the lineup. He's out of the lineup. Uh, he the game plan is good for him. Next week the game plan the game plan is bad for him. I've never seen actually the Justin Fields' first start 
against Cleveland, I believe. I've never seen a, a coach who has been coaching and calling plays and, and game planning as a head coach for years. I've never seen someone in that position almost set up his quarterback to fail because that's what it feel that's what it felt like to anyone who was watching those games or paying attention to what was happening in that game. The way they were using Justin Fields was you could not condone it. You could not condone the way that they were using Justin Fields because they weren't relying on any of the stuff that he he actually was good at. They were forcing him to be a system guy. You don't draft someone like Justin Fields to be a system guy. You fit your system around the talent that is Justin Fields. And Matt Nagy could not get that through his thick skull. So what happens? Lo and behold, Justin Fields, people are saying he's not as good as he as we thought he was. And you know why they're saying it? Because Matt Nagy never put him in a position to succeed. And that's the big thing about Matt Nagy. That's the big the big question mark. I don't know the asterisks around Matt Nagy and his entire coaching career now. He is the guy who will never put his players, the, the player, the quarterback, in, in the most successful place to be successful. He will not do that. Instead, instead, he will try to undermine him because everything has to fit his way. Matt Nagy's in charge. Well, guess what, Matt? You you may have lost your way into the playoffs in 2020 and saved your job for another year. But now, I don't know who hires you. Definitely not as a play caller. I don't know who hires you as a play caller. You might get a job as a positional coach. And again, I'm not saying that Matt Nagy should be blackballed from the NFL or whatever. That's not my decision to make. I just hope that Matt Nagy at some point understands that his system that he created was not the reason this team went 12-4 in 2018. It was that defense. It was that running game. It was everything that had nothing to do with Matt Nagy and the way he ran the team. And I'm not even a Bears fan. I could only imagine what Ethan and Marcus are thinking right now. If you ask them, what do you think about Matt Nagy's tenure in Chicago? He's a failure. He's a failure as a head coach. And that... and. Look, unless he understands that he needs to work with the players and sometimes make his system around players, he will never be successful in the NFL. That is just the God-honest truth about Matt Nagy. Everyone knows it. Everyone realizes it, except apparently for Matt Nagy. And apparently the Bears, for because they kept him around after 2020. What? Because he they lost their last game last year and snuck their way into the playoffs. And that's good enough to justify keeping Matt Nagy on your team? Trash. Utter garbage. Utter garbage. Man. I'm I'm sorry, guys. I like this was this was a rant that was just just years building up. Years. And especially, it went over the edge when when they decided to ruin, yes, ruin Justin Fields' rookie campaign. Because Justin Fields is a guy who has everything you want in a quarterback. He's able to run. He's able to extend plays. He's able to throw the heck out of a football. But God forbid we use any of his skills in the offense to his strength. God forbid 
we, we, we make the offense based off of what the young quarterback is good at because that's not the way it's been done. And that's not the way Matt Nagy wants to do it. It's got to be hard. He's got to be battle-tested, the, the young guy. Crazy, man. Crazy. Sometimes, And sometimes executives who keep these coaches around, they just have to keep them around to justify their own jobs. And that's what I, I think also went into this. You had a lot of people in the Chicago Bears executive branch who were just like, oh, you know, it's not working out, but, but I'm not going to admit to failure. And that's what it is. A lot of times when the coaches overstay their welcome, a lot of times people just don't want to admit their own failure. So, again, I hope Matt Nagy lands on his feet. I hope he learns from this experience, and I hope he gets better. Genuinely. I, I don't wish ill upon anyone who loses their job even if they're making millions of dollars a year, like a lot of NFL coaches are, I, I don't wish ill upon them, right? But if you're getting paid so much money to produce winning football and to, to develop players into, into great athletes and great football players, you got to eventually take ownership and understand what you're doing wrong. And I don't think at any point in his time, in his tenure in Chicago, Matt Nagy did any of that. I just don't think he did. So, I, Matt Nagy, here's to you. I hope you and your family are well, but I hope you also learn from this. And I, I promise you, I'm going to have people saying that I was too nice to Matt Nagy there. I'm going to have people saying that I was way too nice to Matt Nagy there. But then I'm also going to have the, the three Matt Nagy stands around that are like, what did you say about Matt Nagy? He won all the other Fuck off. Anyway... Lastly, let's talk about the New York football giants. Um, lastly, for this conversation, at least. So the New York football giants are keeping Joe Judge, Dave Gettleman, GM extraordinaire, not, uh, is going to retire and step down as the GM and uh, leader of player personnel. So giants are getting almost a makeover, but really setting the table to do a complete rebuild after next year. I think that's what this is leading up to. You have Daniel Jones' contract coming up. You have Joe Judge after finishing this year, what, 4-13, and going into his third year with just a putrid winning percentage, um, a putrid record, a putrid re reputation now amongst football fans because he did a quarterback sneak at, on third and nine in the final game. I mean, and this is the same guy who says he knows better than analytics. This is the same guy who says he's a football guy. This team's going to be playing with passion. He he did all of the greatest hits from Dan Campbell's press conference, except he's not Dan Campbell. Dan Campbell is a better Joe Judge than Joe Judge. Because Joe Judge basically came in as an ex-Patriot staffer, an ex-Patriot special teams coordinator, and said... We're going to do things the right way. We're going to win we're going to win football games. We're going to play hard. Blah 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 blah. And I'm not saying the players didn't play hard, but they didn't win football games. They didn't play well. And a lot of times it didn't look like I don't know. It didn't look like they were playing too hard. Just saying. And I'm not saying that that on the players. I I just think that shows you how uninspiring show judge can be. Um, and, and now you're in a situation where the Giants, you're literally just setting up next season 
to fail and get a draft pick, get a young quarterback in 2023 where there's going to be a few. Bryce Young and company are going to come out. Spencer Rattler might be able to elevate his draft stock soon. There's going to be a lot of options in the 2023 draft. That's why you're keeping Daniel Jones. He's just on a basically a, a lease at this point. Uh, you're going to keep and see what happens with, with Saquon Barkley. But Joe Judge almost... Fully guaranteed he's going to be gone after this year. The The only reason that I would agree if I'm the Giants uh, executive branch to keep on Joe Judge would be because I know I'm going to fire him next year and I just don't want to, I don't want to have the head coach that I want to bring in be ruined potentially after one year or whatever. I want to bring that guy in, whoever it may be, uh, when he's, you know, ready to go with fresh draft picks fresh team to rebuild with a fresh GM or a GM who's already established and they can work together because the Dave Gettleman and uh, Joe Judge slash everyone they've had before, just Pat Shermer and company didn't work. It just didn't work. Daniel Jones, not a bust, but I mean, it shouldn't be a bust, but from where he was drafted, you could see why people would think he would be right. I mean, I think he's played relatively well, actually, recently. I think Daniel Jones has the potential to be a good quarterback in the NFL. Definitely worth having on your team, at least as a backup. And sometimes in the right situations, being a starter. I just don't think the Giants have ever put the right pieces around him to make him successful. Saquon Barkley has been injured almost every year over the past two years. You have a situation where the defense just does not play well at all. They're, they let other teams run a rough shot through them. The offensive line isn't great. The receiving the receiving core just isn't really that good and sometimes the best player on the team is Daniel Jones and that's freaking scary that's no shot at Daniel Jones it's just the truth he shouldn't be the best player in your team if you actually want to win football games and I know there's a lot of people out there who a lot of Giants fans out there who probably like you know already like oh you're just being negative or Giants in the we're gonna go to the Super Bowl next year no you're not no you're not it's okay. Giants fans, it's okay. Next year, it's going to be a difficult year. You're probably going to go like 6-11 and 11 or whatever, right? And then the year after that, you're going to start fresh. It's just what is going to happen. Joe Judge will not keep his job past next year, barring a miraculous turn by the Giants, which I don't see coming, and I don't think anyone with, a fo- with any football knowledge sees coming. If the Giants somehow go like 13-4 and four next year, I'll eat my hat or whatever, but I, I don't think that's going to happen. That's the only way I would see Joe Judge keeping his job. I think they could even make the playoffs, and I'd still move on from Joe Judge. I'd still move on. Well, eh, depending. I don't know. I, they're not making the playoffs. What am I saying? What? <laughs> they're not making the playoffs. Giants. It's the Giants. The New York football Giants. No, they're not making the playoffs. Guys... If you haven't already, hit that like button, subscribe, and hit that notification bell so you get notified whenever a new video is released. You got weekly podcasts, daily videos, and much more. YouTube.com forward slash Real Take Sports. All right, so like I said, we've, we focused a lot of this show on a lot of the teams that lost, a lot of the, the bad stuff that comes out of weeks 18 in the NFL and we're going to be talking about the playoff teams down the line later this week on a special. Uh, so we'll sa- I'll save the playoff talk for that. But I want to turn things around a little bit and, and, and kind of switch gears, I guess, and talk about the NBA because we had a return for the ages. And 
man, oh man, am I excited to talk about this because one of the most inspiring, one of the most just fun to watch and, and like the NBA is better for having Klay Thompson back. I just want to say that it, it's, it's better for having Klay Thompson back because, and I'm a Cavs fan. I watched my team get get run over <laughs> the other night. It was not fun to watch for me as a Cavs fan, but as a fan of basketball, that there was there's nothing better. There's nothing better than than seeing someone like Klay Thompson come back from the injuries that he's been dealing with. But Klay Thompson made his return after 941 days away from the game of basketball. He comes in. Scores 17 points in 20 minutes. He apparently stayed on a little longer than expected. And we saw him do a lot of great things. He looked like the old Clay in the time that he was there. He, it, you know, his plus minus wasn't that good. But he really looked like the old Clay Thompson. He went out there and had a dunk. He dunked on my Cleveland Cavaliers. Which I think a lot of people, if, you, if anyone had any wariness, if anyone had any concerns about the injury and how his legs and how his knee would respond after the injury... They were all answered here because Klay Thompson showed up, balled out, and at the second he landed after that dunk, it was it was over. We all knew the that Klay Thompson was back, and this sets up something big for the Warriors because the Warriors right now or have won 30 games at this point in the season. They are all were already before Klay's return one of the best teams in the NBA and title contender. With Clay's return, Steph Curry being Chef Curry, Draymond Green having one of the most low-key all-pro seasons I've ever seen, and and Wiseman's development and and, and everyone else and we, Andrew Wiggins has, has gotten better in his role and he's probably going to be more effective with a Clay Thompson back in. It is going to be so difficult for any team, even the Phoenix Suns, who right now are playing great basketball. It's going to be hard for them to beat them, but vice versa. I think I think that there's some things that the Suns can do, especially at center with DeAndre Ayton, that the Warriors uh, might have trouble with. But the Warriors, if they if you didn't think they were a contender before, or if you didn't think they were the favorite before, I think Klay Thompson's return in 20 minutes, scoring 17 points, looking the way he did, being happy. That energy at, at, at in San Francisco was 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 just you could. You could just run through a brick wall with that energy if you were a Warriors fan. Like, that was, it is one of the most electrifying, emotional things you've seen in basketball in a while. And look, as a Cavs fan, being on, being on the other receiving end of it wasn't great for me. Because I got vibes from when when we were in that 2018 finals uh, run when the Warriors just swept us and they dominated everything. Like, that's what it felt like. You know, I was like, oh... Back to those Warriors. I like, And we probably are back to those Warriors. Even though they don't got KD anymore, I think this is a team that could be very similar to the team that won, what was it, 73 games. It's going to be a team that's going to be very similar to ones that won 73 games. They're not going to win 73 games. Obviously, they're definitely not going to do that. But they're going to be title contenders. They're going to, I think they're going to, for me, I think they're going to make the finals. I think they're, they're going to be able to get past the, the, the big guy in DeAndre Ayton, who I think is the only person, the if there's one person who can stop them, it's Ayton, because I'm not sure how that matchup is going to go, because the Warriors do play small ball, and the Suns, one of their biggest advantages that people don't talk about is the development of DeAndre Ayton, and how good he is as a seven-foot center, 
So we'll see that and how that plays out throughout the season. But Klay Thompson being back, it just means that the Warriors are going to be more... It's going to be more fun. It's going to be more scoring. It's going to be a great time if you're a Warriors fan. And I think a lot and a lot of people are going to have a, a, a lot of feelings that up from like the 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 latter 2010s, I think. But man, oh, man, it's good to see Clay back. Definitely, guys, if you haven't already, we're done. We're heading down the home stretch. Hit that like button, subscribe and hit that notification bell. We got no Lara in the chat saying the Splash Brothers are back together again. Damn right they are. And man, they're they're looking great. The Splash Bros, and I think that the the bro ship has has extended to uh, a few other players in that team. Man, like, like just everyone on that team is just a nightmare when playing together. Um, we got Mister Breckenridge Ridge Breckenridge. I think I said that right in the chat saying, "Look at Jim Caldwell in Detroit." Oh, I think you're alluding to what I said earlier about black coaches having a shorter leash, and that's true. We saw Brian Flores. I, we, I talked about the Lovey Smith example from a few years ago, and of course, Jim Caldwell. I think is actually a more perfect example when you're comparing to Brian Flores. I think I think those are actually very similar because um, Jim Caldwell is someone who made the playoffs twice, and which. I think there's no other Lions head coach going back almost 30, 40 years who can say that. So he got unceremoniously fired. Jim Caldwell will be a guy who a lot of teams are going to be calling in for an interview, definitely, and should, because I think he's a really good offensive mind and players like him. Joe Flacco, again, had his best season or his best and his best run in the playoffs with Jim Caldwell. So... He's a guy who I think is a true true difference maker. Um, and, yeah. So, yeah, I I'm, I hope to see him back. Brian Flores is going to land on his feet, definitely. Like, it's just the Miami Dolphins are going to regret that. They're going to rue the day <laughs> they fired Brian Flores. Rue the day. Oh, man. So, we got one more thing very quickly to talk about. Uh, and it is the national championship. Uh, by the time a lot of people are listening to this on the podcast version or the audio version, I should say, the, the game will probably be done. I just want it on record so everyone knows. Alabama versus Georgia is going to be a fun game if you're an Alabama fan because Alabama's going to route Georgia tonight just like they did in the SEC championship game. There's no way. I Big shout-out to Kirby Smart for making another title game. Big shout-out to... to Everyone on that Georgia team, Alabama, Bryce Young, Nick Saban, they are going to stomp the living shit out of Georgia tonight. 41 to 6. That's right. 41 to 6. I I don't think it's going to be close. I really don't. I I think that Georgia... Am I hoping it's close? Yes. I want to see a good game. I ain't going to hold you. I want to see a good game. But I just don't see realistically how that's going to happen. I think even though this Alabama team is weaker than in years past, and, and as far as dominant Alabama teams, they're still the class of the entire uh, country as far as college football goes. They're they're the best team in the best conference in the best time with the best coach, with the best quarterback, with the best defense. What more do you want me to say? Like, like I, I can go on for days here, but I I just don't see... 
I just don't see Georgia keeping up with Alabama. That, that That's what really what I'm trying to say here. I don't see keeping up with them. If they do and we get like a rematch of the or, or, or redo, I guess, of the, the, what was it, 2017 National Championship game when Tua Tagovailoa had that great pass on like second and 21 and to, to win the game. I, that was, I mean, that was great. If we can get a repeat of that, I'd love that as a football fan. I just don't know how realistic that is. But 41-6, to six, final score is what it will be. And if I'm wrong, let me know on Twitter at RealTakeSports. Follow me on Twitter at O-M-E-R-Q Show. Follow Real Take Sports on Twitter at Real Take Sports. Keep the conversation going on Facebook and Instagram at Real Take Sports Talk. Be sure to tune in to Real Take Russell Talk on Tuesdays. Real Take Sports Talk whenever the hell I decide to do it. We got an NFL uh, playoff special coming up. I do owe you guys some live streams, so we will be doing those in the days to come. Probably doing at least one or two for these slate of NFL playoff games that are coming up this weekend. We'll do that for Super Wild Card weekend um patreon.com forward slash real take sports to throw in a donation go go check out our stream labs and pretty soon i'll we'll, we'll do some membership stuff as well so we'll have fun with that but a lot of great fun thank you guys again for joining me i'm um, i've been omer from real take sports number 69 baby nice 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 to all of you i bid you adieu and remember as always to keep it real